our numbers show that BNPL seems to tap into a younger population that has this very distinct understanding of how they manage cash flow. They use BNPL in a transactional manner, meaning I want this transaction and I want to spread it out versus I want an open credit line that's attached to a credit card and I can max out. And I thought it was very interesting to see the repayment rates being much higher. It just all converged into BNPL being an identifiable distinct category that attracts a certain type of buyer, a certain type of use case that is arguably the present and the future of how young people are managing their finances. Hi everyone, it's Julie Verhage Greenberg here with your Tux Time podcast from FinTech Today, where we talk about all things FinTech. In this episode, I am joined by Ohad Cement, co-founder of True Accord and someone that you might recognize from our newsletters as well as his Twitter presence if you are involved in FinTech Twitter. Ohad, great to have you here. Thanks for having me. Fun to be around. So you, before your experience uh, co-founding True Accord, you were also at Klarna, one of the, the largest BNPL players. And True Accord, you still work with Klarna. It's uh, one of the companies that you guys serve. And you, you did yep. a, a BNPL report that came out last week. Um, let, let's dive into what True Accord does and then what you guys found in that survey because the... Uh, I touched on it in our newsletter. Uh, there, there's a lot of interesting findings in there that both from a personal level as as well as a, a company level as well. Yeah. So through Accord, we offer uh, products that help consumers in debt repay uh, the companies that owe them. We work with the creditors, with the companies that are actually owe the money, and we act as their agent to communicate with consumers. Uh, we have a product called Recover, which does the late stage. We communicate with consumers under our brand. You'd be surprised, but it leads to more payments because consumers at this point recognize the brand and know that they were here to help. And in September of this year, we launched Retain, which is basically our product, your brand for early stage collections, basically focused on the get people back on track uh, portion of asking for the money back. Uh, so retain for early stage, recover for late stage. And that's the setup where through which we work with uh, Klarna, with the firm, many others. But those are the ones that are kind of on the record about using us. So on the, the BNPL front, what were some of the interesting things from this survey that you guys did? Because it, it involved things like consumer preferences on repayments, whether they're falling more into debt, whether they're paying things off more. And you were, I remember talking to you a fair amount during the pandemic with all of these stimulus checks and people on unemployment and everything. There was a lot going on. And, and I mean, anyone that had any sort of lending product was definitely playing a little bit of a guessing game on like, okay, am I going to get repaid? Am I not going to get repaid? What percentage is that? Like it, it got very complicated very quickly. Yeah. The market, the credit market and defaults market, um, they're moving very quickly in different directions, right? Early on, folks thought losses are going to spike. Then it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. Then stimulus came in. Then people started paying back. And then because of shelter in place, they were not borrowing. So and now things are kind of starting to normalize. And we'll talk about it in a moment because of the post. The thing that we thought was would be interesting to highlight is, of course, what we do and, you know, the results and people paying more with us and the net promoter score and all that good stuff. It's like, you know, that 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 is the reason why people used to record. But it was interesting because there's a, this overall discussion of BNPL versus credit cards. 
and whether it's a feature and how does BNPL work versus credit cards, what's better, what's worse, and so on. And I also I also wrote something for you about BNPL not being a feature and being a a distinct product you category. Did. And you know, I'm 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 biased, right? I was chief risk officer for Klarna, they acquired my previous company and so on, but I do think that our numbers show that uh, BNPL seems to tap into a younger population that has this very distinct understanding of how they manage their cash flow. Uh, they seem to be using de- debit cards uh, with neobanks in, in order to manage day-to-day spends. They use BNPL in a transactional manner, meaning I want this transaction and I want to spread it out versus I want an open credit line that's attached to a credit card and I can max out. Um as a way to manage uh, credit on on shorter term cycles. Um, And I thought it was very interesting to see the repayment rates being much higher, the preferences from consumers on how to repay once they start owing money. Um, It just all converged into BNPL being an identifiable, distinct category that attracts a certain type of uh, buyer, a certain type of use case, that is arguably um, the present and the future of how young people are managing their finances online. So to us, what we do is just a, it's part of the life cycle of consumer finance, right? People borrow money. People sometimes go into debt. Uh, it's sometimes for a short term. It's sometimes because something like a big trauma happened in their life. And then what do they do? And it's evident that the behavior of consumers when they start owing money to BNPL companies is different than when they owe money to credit card companies. That was incredibly interesting. Paying faster, uh, paying more often, looking for more flexibility in repayment, um, that the promise of reapplying to use the same service that they now owe money to actually increases their uh, desire to repay. Those are very interesting findings that... um, distinguish BNPL from some of the credit card debts that we're seeing. Well, how did it change based on, so a firm is one that I think of, and it doesn't just do this now, but it started out with very large purchases like the Pelotons, Caspers, etc. Whereas Klarna and Afterpay, I think of with more smaller purchases like apparel, makeup, things like that. How, what, what sort of interesting findings did you find around there in terms of does the size of the purchase make any impact on how likely they are to repay or didn't you see too much there? We didn't go down that path specifically. We wanted to characterize BNPL in general. Uh, I think looking at these companies, I think a firm has done something very interesting, which is prove that um, convenience and reducing friction is also relevant for higher balance payments. I would say historically, when we saw companies like uh, Bill Me Later and like call it the previous or two generations back of POS financing, uh, it was a lot more about um, financing large purchases for subprime consumers who couldn't afford them. And we're seeing with Affirm, not only for, with Peloton, but with others as well, really dipping its toes and really proving out the, the thesis that uh, BNPL is a way to reduce friction and increase convenience in the purchase flow, even when the purchase is really big. Uh, but I do think a firm stands out, at least in the U.S. market. Uh, I don't know uh, Afterpay's business that well, but Klarna's business in, in, in Europe has been 
has had an, an element of large purchases as well. But in the US, yeah, Firm definitely stands out in, in proving that that out. Um, so in that regard, I would say not a lot of difference. If, if, if they're within that category, if it's about the convenience and short-term credit um, cash flow management, then people behave the same. Got it. Okay. So going back to like pre-COVID, during COVID, and now post-COVID, what... How are companies and how are you thinking about what we're seeing on the back of that? Like things are starting to normalize a little bit. People are going back to work. There's no more stimulus checks anymore. Um, what trend, kind of trends are you seeing there? And this is something that you touched on quite a bit in that post that you did for us about a week ago with one of your colleagues. Yeah, I think uh, when you look at the analysis that Nisha uh, did, one of our product managers, um Look, we don't want to be alarmist because we don't think uh, alarmism is the right uh, is the right message here. Uh, the message is that the market is going back to pre-COVID financials, right? You count on stuff. It's a Jeff Bezos quote, right? You you bet on stuff that's not going to change, and the stuff that's not going to change is consumers are going to continue to borrow money to buy stuff that they may or may not need. Um, and if you look at transient experience data. Q2 was a tremendous drop year over year in terms of borrowing, especially in subprime, but across the credit spectrum. Um, I chalk it up to the stimulus and people not uh, spending. Yeah, this but is Q2 look, 2020, not 2021, right? No, Q2 2021. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. There was a huge dip. Yeah. In 2020, of course, even before. So, okay, mm-hmm. going back, 2020, Q2, Q3, People were not borrowing that much. Q4, before mm-hmm. the second, before the next stimulus came, and bef- especially because the stimulus in the end of Q4 was an advance on taxes, people understood that, and it didn't translate to a lot of, a lot of uh, spending. So people were going back to borrowing. But then the Q1 stimulus came in again. There was like a plunge in borrowing. There was a plunge in delinquencies. But then in Q3 of 2021, we saw uh, a, a huge jump again. Uh, all the bureaus report they're back to normal, both their prime and their subprime score bands. Consumers are borrowing. Uh, and we're seeing delinquencies climbing, say, 8 to 10% month over month for the past uh, five to six months, depending on which, which data, uh, whose data you look at. So... I think what we're looking at is we're looking at normalization. People don't have as much money. Um, they need to borrow to manage their uh, their expenses. Um, there's a reintroduction of lower tiers of credit scores. Uh, some of them were artificially inflated in the um, during the pandemic. So people are going back to borrowing. That changes the composition of overall debt. That uh, increases the percentage of delinquencies. And the, the thing that we want to highlight more than anything is that, especially um, fintech lenders, right? We're seeing a lot of companies getting started right now, launching into this market for the next half a year, maybe even a year. There's going to be a big party of everyone borrowing and a good mix of borrowers and so on. But we want to start thinking about these things in advance because especially fintech lenders are exposed to lower FICO score consumers, right? Because where do you find the opportunities? You find the opportunities where they're not well served by the existing financial infrastructure. And that is predominantly, sometimes it's high-end consumers that want specific services, but a lot of times it's subprime and near-prime consumers that want those services. And so 
it's not about, oh goodness, there's going to be a spike, but it's definitely, it's going back to normal. So start paying attention to that because if you don't pay attention to your consumers who are falling back, uh, falling behind and not paying, you're going to be in trouble six to nine months down the line. How did, so going back to normal though, like the last time we had normal, BNPL wasn't even as, like close to as big as what it is today. So how do you kind of like factor that into the equation a little bit? I'll look back to 2013 or even before that, right? We all experienced the last uh, cycle with Lending Club and Prosper and other P2P lenders. And I, I mentioned Lending Club and Prosper because they are the one who survived. There were so, so many others that did not survive this exact cycle, right? When the banks pull back, when they lend less, when consumers look for alternative solutions, you experience an explosion in fintech investments into lending. And so we saw an explosion in peer-to-peer lending. We saw an explosion in marketplaces. And eventually, the tide receded. Consumers were, those lenders were faced with consumers' inability to pay. It wasn't a big bang. It wasn't like some some day somebody woke up and said, you know, default rates are going 2x. No, they just crept up and up and up and up and up and up. And with the pressure to grow, people were lending more. And eventually they were caught because, and this is going to be very technical, if you continue to lend more and more and your overall book of lending grows, and you don't look, and you look at your overall losses. You don't look at, uh, hey, what was my loss last year? What is my loss this year? Like you don't look at that evolution of losses. You can be caught unaware. You can be like, I grew, I doubled, I tripled year over year, and my losses have not doubled or tripled. Yes, but the losses on what you lent out a year and a half ago, two years ago, are skyrocketing, and that starts to catch up with you, and that starts to catch up with your securitization. And then you start getting in trouble. So this is a, it's a very technical way of thinking about it. But but again, I, I don't want to be an alarmist. It's not like, hey, guys, your business is in peril. No, no. Let's just prepare for it because we want to give consumers the right service. And you want to continue to grow while managing your defaults and, and managing your financial commitments. The, there's an interesting stat from the report that I want to read off as well. The percentage of BNPL, buy now, pay later, customers who make a payment is more than double the like-size credit card accounts at 30 days post-placement and 50% higher at 90 days. The liquidation rate or repayment rate of BNPL accounts is two and a half times that of credit cards at 30 days and almost double at 90 days. What, what does that stat tell you? It tells me that when not controlled to ba- for balance, of course, lower balances, uh, people pay- tend to pay f- faster and sooner because they feel a sense of accomplishment for having paid the whole balance. So there's obviously that element. But when you compare to actual, uh, to actual balances, I would say, number one, it tells me that um, the underwriting for BNPL is actually working well. I think it's uh, kind of like a talking point that I'm hearing every once in a while. Underwriting is out of, uh, is wild and so on. I don't think it is. I think BNPL is just growing extremely fast as a category. Mm-hmm. And so we're hearing a lot a lot about it from a lot of people. Um, but more, more than anything, the thing that it highlights for me is the brand. Uh, part of the pitch that we're hearing from major BNPL providers is that consumers relate to our brand. You see a lot of investment in brand from all of them. Right in different flavors, um, they have this ability. Part of their services to their clients is that to their customers, merchant customers, is that they drive traffic, 
And to me, this is a validation of the model. So if you look at Klarna, for example, when Jan Hansen, the VP of collections at Klarna, did like a webinar with us, he said, we measure companies like TrueAccord on post-recovery acquisition. Right? So how many of these consumers can we acquire back once they're done paying for the amount that they owed us? Because with the right parameters, we can get them back on the service. And with this very competitive environment of everybody's trying to acquire the same consumers, everybody's trying to service the same consumers, you're at risk of being in a race to the bottom on pricing. Um, thinking about how to retain consumers is important. And so our data is showing that those that actually focus on brand and retaining consumers and talking to them through the whole collections process, even when they owe money, end up recovering more, end up getting more consumers back compared to traditional financial services. I think it's a very strong signal to fit the companies in general what to focus on even when consumers owe their money. Don't throw them by the wayside. Focus on servicing them well so that you can reacquire them. This might be a little bit of a curveball, but does the stock market and how it's done so well over the past year and a half, two years have anything to do with just like consumer confidence and the fact that they can make these repayments? Like, I mean, I imagine people aren't like taking money out of their stocks in order to pay down credit card debt most of the time. But how does that sort of like, I don't know, it makes you feel more confident in the future of, you know, your net worth if the market keeps going up. And you mean that people pay more uh, now because their their stock book is is higher? Well, like you feel like you have like all this net worth in the stock market and you're feeling good. Maybe you made a lot of money on Dogecoin and that helped you pay off some of your debt and everything. Um, I don't know. Like, do you factor that in at all? Or do you think that that's something that, um, you know, doesn't really make much of a difference? And I only ask because recently I've been asking people what they think the stock market and other things are going to do in 2022. And people are a little bit nervous that we could see a correction. And I don't know if that's going to play any role in uh, consumer debt. We have not seen that. What we've seen is that people react to direct cash deposits. You give them stimulus, they will pay down their debt. Um, you sometimes stop payments, for, for example, stop um, student loan payments, they'll pay down debt. You give them a tax refund or the EITC or the CTC, some of those grants that consumers get when they don't reach a certain level of income, which is what's called tax season in the debt repayment uh, world, then they tend to pay down debt. But it is not something that um, often people just uh, you know, do a balancing of the books and saying, this is the amount of assets I have, this is my cash flow, and this is how much money I'm going to spend on, on repaying my debt. Some people do. Um, but based on our research, that's not the majority. The majority reacts to an explosion of cash that's been deposited, that's been given them directly, and they use that to make those decisions. Uh, it's unfortunate, but it is the reality. Uh, so putting that aside then, are there any black swan events that you're kind of keeping an eye out for in 2022 or things that you think people should be prepared for? Or do you think that um, you know it, the normalization will be the, the big trend going into the new year? Well, you think, you know, uh, economists have predicted 35 of the last 10 recessions, right? Uh, people like to say that things are going to happen. I think um, in our world, two um, events of interest are one, uh, this is kind of niche, but then again, it, it impacts about 100 million people in the U.S., uh, Regulation F, 
that's a new way that really enforces a different way of, of servicing debt and collections went into effect in November 30th. It especially limits phone calls as a way to collect, which is amazing. It pushes the whole industry into digital. And the effect of that is going to roll through the industry over time because first people are saying, you know, we're ready. Nothing's going to happen. And then within a few weeks, maybe we'll start hearing that, oh, actually, maybe we were not ready. So we'll see in the next month or two how that comes in, how that plays out. We definitely are hearing from some folks. So actually, we weren't ready. Can you help us? So we'll see if this snowballs or maybe that's like 10% or 20% of the industry. So that's pretty big. I don't know if uh, some fintech companies may feel that because their servicers are supposed to move to digital and, and didn't do it. So that's going to be interesting. The other thing is that by the end of January, um, student loans are going to go back into, going to require repayment, right? So February of next year, that's going to be an interesting time to see how consumers react and how the industry uh how the, the financial system in general reacts to that. And as I'm talking, I mean, there are two other things that may or may not impact. I mean, evictions, the eviction ban ended in September. These things take time to go through the court system. We don't know how that's going to impact consumers who owe back pay on rent. And um, taxis next year around the refunds, there's the EITC. But yes, through uh, the latest bills, there's, def- there's an additional payment for child tax credit. So that could also impact the way consumers uh, repay their debt. So uh, predicting in this environment is complex. I wouldn't want to do it myself, but there are definitely a lot of forces pushing in different directions. Uh, Lots of stuff going on. If anyone wants to find that buy now, pay later report, you can go to pages.trueaccord.com slash BNPL dash report. Um, if you want to find out more about TrueAccord, obviously go to TrueAccord.com. If you want to stay up to date on what they are doing as well as others in the fintech industry, go to fintechtoday.co, sign up for our newsletter. Otherwise, oh, happy holidays. Thank you for joining us. Um, and we, I look forward to talking to you again in 2022 to see how all of this plays out. Right on. Happy holidays and thanks everyone for listening. Bye.